from Los Angeles, California. This is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Wednesday, January 22nd, 2008, day 80 of the Writer's Strike. In today's episode, I talk with writer Alan Kirschenbaum. Then we'll speak with SAG member Elizabeth Reynolds at the picket line in front of NBC Studios. We'll begin with Alan Kirschenbaum, whom I met while crossing the street to get to the picketing check-in location. Over the weekend, the terms of the DGA and AMPTP's tentative agreement became available online, and I wanted to know what he thought about it. Let's listen. I'm Alan Kirschenbaum. I'm a television writer, and we're standing outside NBC. Today is no more special than the other 70 days of this strike so far. It's just another day out on the picket lines. Okay, but it's Martin Luther King Day, so I guess... They wanted more people to come out to NBC. I don't. What's the deal? The real reason is it's a holiday, and almost every studio is closed. But because Jay Leno what? is still taping a show, that's why everybody's been asked to come out here. The other thing is that it, you're right. That is something that's special about today is that it's Martin Luther King Day, and without trying to be too lofty or, or pretentious or anything, I mean there were certain things Martin Luther King stood for in terms of people being treated as equals and people um, having being treated with dignity and being treated with respect and I think those are a number of the issues why the writers are not at work for the last two and a half months and why they won't be at work tomorrow and they won't be at work at any time in the near future. Okay, so um, I was kind of here to gather stories about the DGA thing. Um, can, can you come on that real quick? Because I, does it mean the signal of the end for the riders, or, or are, we, are you guys still going to be on the lines? I think it means that the um, conglomerates are bargaining seriously for the first time in this whole process, and that they planned to do what they did, which was to deal with a union that's far easier for them to deal with, the DGA, before they dealt with us, even though our contract was up first. If they were serious in the beginning, before the strike happened, about bargaining with us, they would have been able to come up with something very much along the lines of what they came up with for the directors and made that offer to us, and we would have negotiated from there, and and I'm sure got to a place that while neither side may have been ecstatic about it, we would have both been able to live with it. Instead, they made no serious attempt to to make a reasonable offer to us, allowed us to go on strike, which we had certainly made clear was going to happen at that point. And when we felt a certain amount of pain and the conglomerates have felt a certain amount of pain, the DGA rode in on their you know white horse to the rescue, as they always do. Really? They always do? The DGA historically has been the easiest uh, union for the conglomerates to deal with. They've, uh, whereas there have been prolonged strikes by both the Writers Guild and SAG, the DGA's never had a, a prolonged strike. They had one strike that lasted three hours. Their proponents would argue that that's because they're reasonable in their negotiations. They always come in six months before their contract is up. They give themselves a long time to work these things out. They And they do a lot of admirable things. They maintain relationships with the conglomerates 
you well, know, they have to interface with the conglomerates more than writers, don't you think? Well, we all do. We, I mean, do? we all do. The writers do, the actors too as well. The DGA does a number of things that they're to be congratulated for. And they're the same people have been in power there for a long time. And so apparently their rank and file are, are very happy with their leaders. And they, you know, they've been very quick to at least pay lip service to the fact that they wouldn't have gotten as fair a deal as they had without the writers being on strike for as long as they have. And we're appreciative that they noticed that. And at the same time, you know, it's much easier to play good cop after somebody's played bad cop for a while. All these things sort of happen at the same time. There's a lot of fluid parts to this. And hopefully, when the conglomerates sit down with the Writers Guild leadership informally in the next few days, there will be enough common ground that this next session of negotiations will be fruitful and lead to a deal. I think that's the way everybody feels. So what points about the director's agreement uh, was it proposed? What is it? Director's uh, proposed agreement? or Well, there's a tentative contract tentative that needs contract. to be ratified by their membership. Okay, so what points about that give you hope? I think what's hopeful is that it doesn't seem like it, philosophically they left out anything you know, economic in any economic area that I believe are our main concerns. They dealt with um, streaming adver- for free advertiser-supported programming. They dealt with digital downloads. They dealt with jurisdiction over m- created for internet content. And in my mind, although I'm certainly not a leader of the Writers Guild, those were the biggest issues. There are other issues on the table as well. Some that are, you know, applicable to writers that aren't applicable to directors, and and they'll need to hash their way through that. But as far as the main issues that I believe the majority of writers are concerned with, every they've hit all the bases. I think the areas for concern are actual numbers, are actual percentages that are being offered, and amount of downloads that have to be hit to get to the better rates. So I think at the very least, optimistically, we will no longer be negotiating philosophically. You know, they agreed to pay distributors gross on certain um, residuals that you know, they said was a deal breaker with the writers. They walked away from the table with that being one of the six issues that needed to be dropped before they would negotiate. And then in the span of a week and a half, they were able to negotiate a contract with the directors using those words, distributors gross. So I think if there's ever a clear sign that they weren't prepared to make a deal with the writers before and that they were very prepared to make a deal with their directors then, it, it can be seen in that one specific example. Okay. What got you in the guild? Say that again. What got you in the guild? I wanted to be a TV writer, and in order to be a TV writer, you have to be in the writer's guild. But what got you in the guild? How'd you get in? I sold a script with a friend of mine 20-some-odd years ago, and uh, we got, I think we split $1,200 in a fee for that script, and we had to join the writer's guild, and it was a $1,500 initiation for each of us. So our first transaction was not very financially rewarding, but it was the start, you know, of good things. Okay, so that takes me to, you were on the strike lines in 1988, is that right? I had just begun to work, and I was on the strike lines in New York as a member of Writers Guild East in 1988. Oh, okay. Can you compare and contrast uh, the strike from 1988 to today? Well, I mean, I had two things that would prevent me from doing a very good job of that. One is I was so new to writing and this business that I didn't really understand anything that was going on. And two, it was in New York where things were a lot more 
New York isn't an industry town, mm-hmm. and it's not on the minds of every single person. You know, we would strike outside an office building every day in which there were 500 different businesses inside that office building. So it was hard to get the message out. Here, everybody knows what's going on. I would say from what I know of Los Angeles in 1988, the rank and file of the Writers Guild was a lot more split then and seems to be a lot more unified now. In 1988, a lot of what that strike was about was this terrible definition of, of residuals on videotapes that were being sold, and in 1988, I don't think any of the TV writers saw that as a television issue. That was purely a movie issue. Nobody would ever buy videotapes or DVDs of a TV show. It was on TV for free, and you could record them off the TV. Well, that turned out to be wrong, although I don't think anybody would have, could have known that at the time, and it became clear that residuals on DVDs, uh, videotapes, then DVDs, now uh, downloads, is a very important part of the lives of both television and movie writers. Okay. When we were walking, when we were off tape before we started recording, you were like, you didn't want to emphasize what's the, the silver lining of, of hit, hitting the picket lines. You were like, this is serious. So can you take a minute to step on your soapbox and say what is so serious to you, why this is, you know, from your heart? I think especially this week now, the Directors Guild made a deal, and I think everybody expects, okay, well, the ice has been broken, and now the Writers Guild will fall quickly in line. We can't hope to get more than the directors got. And then I think people feel like, and then once that's done, then the actors will certainly not be able to hold out for more than the directors and the writers got. And so I think there's a certain sentiment out there that the problem has been solved. And the problem hasn't been solved yet. It's only through negotiations that the problem will be solved. The writers, there are writers that have, for the most part, have the same concerns as directors and then their own concerns as writers in this environment, not as facilitators of somebody's work, but as actual creators of work. And then I think when this is finally solved, and it will be solved, that the actors will have their own issues that that don't apply. So while everyone I think here is taking a certain amount of solace in the fact that the directors were able to make their deal. I think there's still a lot of people out here who think it's not a fait accompli and a rubber stamp situation where the writers are just going to say, fine, we'll take that too. And the actors will say, we'll take that too. It's a matter of negotiating. And I'm curious to see what will happen over the next couple weeks when those negotiations begin. Why do you think it's informal right now? I don't understand that aspect of it, the talks between the writers and the the AMPTP. Well, I don't think they've started in any informal, formal, or any way yet, but they will start informally. I think basically because that's what the Directors Guild did. They didn't want, I don't think either the Directors Guild or the conglomerates wanted a situation where they entered into negotiations and they fell apart after that had happened with the writers. So I think their attitude was, let's sit together with no pressure on these meetings, with no spotlight, with no ticking clock. We're just going to sit and talk. And if it seems that there's a chance that we can make a deal, at that point we will enter into formal negotiations. And that's clearly what the Directors Guild and the conglomerate strategy was at that point. And it led to fruitful discussions and successful negotiations. And I think they're hoping that that will happen again. I think if they have a certain amount of conversations and it becomes clear that the Directors Guild deal is not an acceptable template for a Writers Guild deal, then they won't ever have to go through the 
up and back of saying we're negotiating, somebody walked away from the table again. They'll just say we weren't able to, we don't feel like now is the right time to enter negotiations. Can we touch upon what we talked about off tape about user-generated content? Sure. <laughs> All right, let's set this up. So we, what were, how did we get into this? I was walking with you, and how did, do you remember how we got started? Yeah, I think you were saying that the Internet is going to be too big for anyone to unionize, and these conglomerates will not be able to control the Internet. Oh, right. mm-hmm. And so there will be programming coming from sources right. outside of these seven major corporations. And I totally agree with that, and I think there will be content coming from other places. I think that these conglomerates will try to control as much of the internet as possible, the same way that when cable television was a threat to them, they wound up buying all the cable channels, so that almost every important cable channel is controlled by one of these same conglomerates. News Corp has already bought MySpace. Um, CBS has made internet purchases already. Every one of them is trying to start their own internet portals as well. Um, I think NBC and Warner Brothers are partners in Hulu, which is supposedly going to be some next big thing. I think that won't stop. At the same time, there are going to be, you know, the, the first breakthrough internet show is just as likely to come out of some kid's garage in the Midwest as it is to come out of Los Angeles or New York or anywhere like that. But I think what needs to be clear is the Writers Guild of America would like jurisdiction over those shows as well and will work with any content provider to show that the best chance they have for success is to be with union writers who are, you know, I would argue the 1,000 or 2,000 or 12,000 best, most highly trained, most talented writers in the entertainment business right now. And when I was an aspiring writer trying to break in, I dreamed of the day I would get into the Writers Guild. And hopefully these writers out there who are working on original content for the internet and who are doing it through channels that we don't even know exist right now have the same dreams one day to be um, responsible for movies or TV shows or call them whatever you want. Um, programming delivered over the internet that millions of people come watch and enjoy and laugh at and are compelled by. And they will want the same benefits of being in a union that the television writers of today and the movie writers of today enjoy. Pension plan, health plan, protection over your material, arbitration over credits, things like that, that you only get in a collective situation. Now, you said that the first breakthrough show on the Internet, let's go back a little bit. I understand the first breakthrough show on, the te- on television was Howdy Doody. I heard that from the Strike TV seminar a couple weeks ago. Um, define a breakthrough show on the Internet. What does that have to look like? To me, a breakthrough show on the Internet, a breakthrough piece of programming on the Internet, would be something that more people came to watch the next time it was on than the time before, and more people came the time after that to watch than the time before, that generated traffic on a continuing basis. Not a website where they have funny sketches on it and every once in a while you click over to see if anything funny happened, but something where you say, I absolutely must watch next week's episode or the next day or the next month, however often they're delivered, and you say, I can't miss those, and you call all your friends to watch, and it's not going on YouTube and generating, you know, searching for funny uh, clips of Japanese game shows where people, you know, 
get thrown out into the cold naked or get woken up when a cannon goes off after their head. It's written, scripted programming, which is what the Writers Guild is mostly about, where the content is so compelling that next week, a thousand more people come, and the week after, two thousand more come, and it reaches a critical mass, and somebody's able to take that and say, just by doing X, we can make money off this. But I think it's already happening right now. Do you watch, I mean, are you watching internet content? Have you heard of a show like Ask a Ninja? Sure, I've heard of Ask a Ninja. Have you watched it? Yes, I have. What do you think? I think it's really entertaining and clever, and when I remember to go watch it, I watch it. That's not exactly the same, and unless you're arguing with me that there are people out there that are like when Seinfeld was on and people stayed home on Thursday nights because they wanted to see Seinfeld because they wanted on Friday morning to be able to have the conversations with the other people they worked with to say, did you see what happened? And you don't want to say, no, don't talk about that because I didn't see it yet. You want to be part of the conversation. So you watched it the first chance that it was on. I know we live in a TiVo generation now. Time shifting. I know people watch things when they want, but every once in a while something breaks through to the point where in order to be involved in the first conversations about it you need to see it the first opportunity and when I see something like that break through on the internet and people can point to listen by this being on we made this company made 10 million dollars this year that's when I will consider that that has occurred and believe me I'm 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 46 years old I'm not I'm not part of the generation that that is first used to watching things on the internet and not on their television, maybe there is something out there like that right now. But I think we'd be reading a lot more about it if there was, and I think we would be watching these big conglomerates trying to imitate that if there was. I think as soon as the first person breaks through with a show, with a must-see piece of programming that is able to generate money, that you will see thousands and thousands of imitations of that, much like the TV business and the movie business. Um, I'm just curious, as you walk the picket lines, are you, and you don't have to tell me what it is, but I'm just curious, are you coming up with any ideas that would, that would fit in a new media format? I think every one of us has our ideas, and some are more inclined to be movie ideas, and some are more inclined to be television ideas. And some are probably more inclined to be internet ideas. And I'm sure if you spoke to anyone on this line, they would have ideas. So I don't think that's the problem. I think there's a certain amount of, okay, what do I do with this now? How do I, you know, how do I translate this into, you know, something that people are going to go watch? I know people that put stuff online all the time, that shoot their own things and put them online. And... I think everybody gets satisfaction from that and it's enjoyable, but I don't think anybody's quite figured out how to market this or how to make people aware of it so that it reaches a critical mass of viewership. But one day someone will. Okay. We've got two more questions. Anything, parting shots, anything as we wrap this up? I just think that um, everybody is, you know, I think you have a combination of people here who are cautiously optimistic and people who are cautiously pessimistic. Where do you come down? I think somewhere in between those two things. I mean, I'm sort of got a look-see attitude. I think everyone here feels this will be settled at some point and there'll be a contract and hopefully it won't have lasted so long that the personal pain that people are feeling is ratcheted up to a level that you can't come back from and hopefully we won't have chased the audience away to a level that they won't come back from yeah okay last question what do you think is the more powerful invention the printing press or the internet 
I think they're two versions of the same invention. I mean, I don't have a strong feeling about that one way or another. I think anything that helps get your message or your piece of entertainment or your any sort of compelling thing you come up with out to the most people as possible is is the most powerful invention in the 1600s or the 1500s Huzzah. it was the printing press and now it's the internet and 500 years from now it'll be something different but they're all versions of the same thing thank you so much for your time My- i really appreciate it thank you writer Alan Kirschenbaum at the picket line in front of NBC Studios. Coming up is SAG member Elizabeth Reynolds, who is a leader of MOVE, which stands for Member Organizing Volunteer Efforts, a member-driven group that believes in the power of member-to-member organizing within the Screen Actors Guild. Let's listen. Let's establish who you are and what you do, and then I also want to know why you do it. Are you been appointed to do this, or did you step forward and volunteer? I definitely, uh, well, first of all, my name's Elizabeth Reynolds, and I did step forward and volunteer to do this with Screen Actors Guild. I've been a member of Screen Actors Guild for 15 years, and during that time I've seen a lot of changes, um, a lot of things I didn't like. Like what? Well, I, I don't want to get into the logistics specifically of past because it doesn't matter anymore. Okay. We need to deal with per, you know the current board. We have a fabulous president of the union now, Screen Actors Guild um, president, and and Alan Rosenberg has really put his put it, put <laughs> put it to the grindstone to say the least, and he's. Um, making sure that, you know, SAG members, rank and file, are represented. And he wants to hear their voices. And with our contracts coming up, he's gone ahead and the board established the organization committee called MOVE, which is Members Organizing Volunteer Efforts, so that members that actually have wanted to have a voice but felt that they aren't, you know, of a celebrity status can't. Uh, a big part of this is all about demystifying SAG and uh, letting Screen Actors Guild members know that, you know, it wasn't just about a catch-22 when you first joined. You know, you can't get a great job and a great paying job as an actor unless you are SAG and you can't get that job unless you, you know, we're past that. You know, it's about going ahead and finding our own work. The internet has allowed us that. We're into a whole area now where we're actually dealing with, you know, the multimedia and new media and going ahead and finding our TVs becoming the internet and just hooking up to the, you know, computer and streaming television shows. Um, It's very important to have those images protected. It's very important for actors to be receiving uh, a kickback from their performances and their hard work that they've worked all their hard lives for. You know, it's just, it's not fair to go ahead and have something go out and have it manipulated by a conglomerate and just say, well, you know, we paid you once though, that's it. Let's talk about what you do for SAG and your volunteer efforts here. You, I get an email from you almost every day telling me where to go, what to do. Tell me how you coordinate all this. Well, back in the initial, uh, when the, initially when the strikes first started, it pretty much was something that a lot of Screen Actors Guild members weren't really aware of what was going on. And I had about a couple weeks before the actual writer's strike had started, I, I basically my social life is with a lot of different writers. I, you know... I have a lot of friends that are writers in television and film. And it's the type of thing that, you know, I obviously care about their futures, and I care about mine, and I have intentions one day, and I'd like to be in the Writers Guild of America one day myself. And so I wanted to find out exactly what, you know, the specifics were. And when I started to really understand, I became more impassioned about it. And I went to Screen Actors Guild, and lo and behold, Todd Amorde and Nyla Wren uh, are running 
the organization committee and I learned that there's actually now a way over the last six months with SAG to be involved actively as a rank and file member. This gave me basically the wherewithal to go ahead and take the signs and become a Screen Actors Guild. Um, we're not calling it a strike captain because we're not officially on strike, but we'll call it a coordinations captain. Uh, on are there the, other people besides you? Yeah, there are other people. We have another terrific lady, Deborah King. She uh, helps me out a lot at NBC Alameda. And then we have some uh, Screen Actors Guild member were, members who are actually training right now to go out, and uh, they've been mostly on the phone banks doing a lot of work for the strike that way but uh, they're now going to be assigned to specific Writers Guild of America cap Writers Guild of America uh, strike captains what is uh, phone banks what is that the phone banks are basically to encourage people Screen Actors Guild members who you know aren't normally called to go ahead and come in and say hey we want to hear your voice our contract is coming up June 30th please be a part of this you know um, it's very important for the members to be involved right now I can't stress that strongly enough because ultimately what happens is that so many Screen Actors Guild members have not been used to being involved in committees. There are committees you can join. There are women's committees. There are background committees. There is this committee and that committee at SAG that people just didn't know that exist. And so one of my goals early on in this strike was to help demystify SAG and make, you know, and ultimately members become more involved. You become a stronger union and it's not just left up to the board. I believe it was about three to four months ago the Hollywood Board of Directors actually opened their doors and it no longer became a private meeting. Members can now come and observe the meeting and that's became more transparent. Yeah, and, and definitely, and now it's just like members are now writing in saying things they would like to see, things that need to be done, and, you know, the board is there for the members. It doesn't matter if you've got celebrity names on there. You've got people who have been on that board for years and years. Valerie Harper, fabulous union woman. All of the people that are on there, Lenny Kazan, you've got, you know, member after member that, that show up. Uh, Justine Bateman has been an incredible... Yeah, power, I've seen her on the, on the Internet just posting comments. and all. She's yeah. all over the Internet. She's an incredible inspiration, and I think that because she came out as strongly as she did, she inspired. she's one of the reasons why I came out. She inspired me, and um, I saw, well, wow, hey, there's Mallory from Family Ties. I want to go out there with my sister, you know? You know, she's done some fabulous work since, and, and uh, I don't want to, you know, uh, I'm sure she's, you know, <laughs> wanting to be remembered for new things, but it's she's she's fabulous. She's the WGA campaign speechless that they have. Yeah. She did a terrific two-minute video with her brother, very matter of fact and I think that you know her presence is especially important and it's so great that she has led so many people because of the fact that people remember her and still think of her as just you know there's no ivory walls around her she's always been very kind very nice and very approachable and she's she's a mom with two fabulous kids herself you know this affects her as much as it does anyone else and she's taking her time to come out here and really motivate and you know express and teach and educate and uh, that inspired that was one of the things that inspired me all so, so, you know, just basically as far as, you know, union is concerned, you know, I, I got a chance to really, I guess, start to, to get that union blood streaming, especially when we had the Hollywood rally and I saw the Teamsters come out. And yeah. There's nothing quite like a couple of 18-wheelers tooting yeah, to yeah. Uh, make you feel <laughs> bonded. Yeah. 
So when did you get on board? <laughs> Excuse me, I've been sick. Um, when did you <laughs> get on board about um, doing what you're doing for for writers? Was it before the strike or? Yeah, it was actually. Well, like I said, I, I my social <laughs> my social group is pretty much all writers. I don't socialize with too many actors that much. I mean, everybody's pretty much that you know goes out for TV commercials or voiceovers is independent, and most of my friends are all writers. So when I saw you know what was coming, and uh, again, I, I felt that it was necessary for me to understand what's going on because my desire is to one day be part of the Writers Guild of America and uh, you know be very proud and and being a member of that and it's a lot of hard work and the hard work starts now and I you know I had the time available so you got in in what October September or um, in the fall I, I started educating myself literally on the internet and calling around and going into SAG and saying look how am I representing SAG and how do I go out there and make sure that I'm supporting these people making sure that they know SAG supporting them you know in the right way and of course there's a lot of legal logistics that yeah. you have to pay attention yeah. to yeah. too like uh, SAG members can't go on location and wear carry SAG signs and wear SAG shirts because we're not officially on strike right now and we don't want to affect the actors that have contracts that they have to you know uh, you know I guess what my question what I'm leading up to is when you got on board did you know we would still be here in mid-January to tell you the truth I, I was prepared for a long strike in November because just seeing uh, new media I mean it's kind of law it's basic logic you've got very powerful and industrious and capable negotiators that are the MPTP wanting to go ahead and uh, control everything and and I don't think it's a naive statement to put it that way simply because of the fact you look at how they walked away from the table you look at how they went ahead and you know have not been willing to actually consider certain things. They've, they've taken things away from us when we said, okay, we'll take the DVDs off the table, you know, negotiate with us. They said, no, that's okay. It's off the table now. We don't have to deal with that. So why should we listen? They, they've, consec- they've consistently lied. And, you know, Screen Actors Guild members are seeing that. You know, if they're doing that to the Writers Guild, what are they going to do to SAG? So, you know, as far as the length of the strike, I mean, I was prepared for a long haul. Um, I knew I had uh, a specific time available where I could get by and and be out there daily and and support the writers. And uh, this has been my work, and and I'm proud to say that uh, it's work that I'm proud of. It's some of the best work I've done in my life, actually. You you know what, I want to comment on that. Somebody was asking me about what it's like out here, and... I'm making a lot of sacrifices and I don't really care to put myself in the story right now and say what I'm doing to survive but there are a lot of sacrifices but personally this has been the time of my life because I feel I'm being of service I'm meeting people exchanging ideas information and creativity yeah oh 100% you know and it's you know it's funny because it's what I was mentioning earlier somebody said well why are you out there you know oh you just get to be a part of something damn right I get to be a part of something Mm -hmm. I'm proud to be a part of this Mm -hmm. and um, I'm honored and it's it's great to be able to come and be, you know, with a lot of energy. And, you know, the actors are kind of known for having a lot more chutzpah. And the writers are kind of like going, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. Oy. And, uh, you know, they, they, they smile. It's, it's, it's you know, it, it's remarkably enough, it, it all goes down to one thing, and that's humanity and uh, integrity. And, you know, it does. It, it, that is something that feeds you. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been able to take advantage of a certain uh, situation. I, I had had a settlement on previously that is running out by March, and I won't be able to, if we're still, God forbid, striking in March, then, you know, that's going to be something that, um, you know. You'll deal with when you get to it, yeah. That's my box. I'll take it. Thank you, my dear. Right.
So sorry. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So you say your role... We'll wrap this up. You say <laughs> your role is to de- demystify um, the Screen Actors, Screen Actors Guild. What is the biggest misconception that you want to get out there to SAG members? You know, that's a great question. I think the fact that SAG doesn't do anything for them. I think the majority of SAG members know that it does help to have SAG on their side when they're actually working on a contracted role. However, you've got thousands of actors that are not even working on, uh, you know, roles right now that, especially during the strike, background artists are affected, etc. There are things that SAG does do. The SAG Foundation, the SAG, you know... uh, Actors Fund is very important. There is innumerable uh, committees and um, different nights where they have meetings and gatherings where they bring in the industry. And there's a whole other section where iActor is a very important part now of uh, Screen Actors Guild. Also, Screen Actors Guild is going to be starting a campaign where they bring filmmakers in that are SAG members and offer them the chance to go ahead and, you know, have a competition, put up videos about, you know, certain criteria that, you know, SAG, you know, actually does do that so many members don't even realize are available to them. Like I said, I've been a member for 15 years and this is the first time I've really educated, taken the initiative and responsibility and that's the other thing. I I want actors to really get out there remember that it's 90% their job 10% the agent's job and part of that is knowing what it is to be a union member nice okay and my last question is uh, which is the more powerful invention the internet or the printing press oh uh, forgive me all of our ancestors that go before but you know it's the wave it's the internet and why what's that and why do you say that uh, <laughs> uh, well, let's put it this way. When I'm not out striking, I'm literally on my computer probably the rest of the time. <laughs> it's where I see my advertising. It's where I see everything. Okay. Thank you very much, Elizabeth Reynolds. You too. Great work. You have been listening to the Rider Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com.